0: 20 minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast welcome back to another episode of the pack a day podcast you can get all your pack a day updates by following us on Twitter, at Packaday Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And, of course, you can check us out over at cheeseheadtv.com. I am Kyle Fellows, and I am here, as always, with Andrew Mertig. Andrew, it is Friday. It is good to be back for another episode of the podcast.
1: Yeah, definitely. Great to be back. We have a holiday weekend for many, and I think you know people probably should be li- listening to this episode on whatever their their trip or or their their day off uh, to celebrate the Fourth of July. Um, we got a little bit of Packers news this week with the Jordan Love contract signing. Also, AJ Dillon, by the way, absolutely. Um, and the the idea that the NFL is going to cut down the preseason to two games. So some interesting uh, news, some, some noteworthy, noteworthy stuff, but we have to continue
0: the series that we started. Absolutely we do, and I hope everyone is having a fantastic beginning to your Independence Day weekend. Uh, we know we have an international audience as well, so some selfish uh, words there for us at home. But we are in the middle of a project to get to know every team on the Packers 2020 schedule. We wanted to take a look at what each of these 2020 opponents has done this off season to get better. So we're looking at their drafts, free agency moves, coaching changes, whatever, anything we can do to gain a clearer picture of these teams. Green Bay will face this coming season. And we just finished going through the Packers NFC North division rivals. We spent an entire episode on each of the Lions, Bears, and Bears and Vikings. So if you want to get caught up, you can go back and check those episodes out. Those, All those are on Fridays. Uh, but today, we are going to be covering the Packers' first three non-divisional opponents. That's right. Today, we are breaking down not one, not two, but three teams for all of you. I did not know that that was going to rhyme when I started it, but I'm so glad that it did. This is going to get a little bit crazy today, but we are super excited about it. The Packers actually faced these three first non-divisional teams consecutively in weeks three, four, and five, and they just so happen to also be NFC South teams. So today we're talking about the Saints, the Falcons, and the Bucks. Uh The Packers do face the Panthers uh, to round up the NFC South, but that game against Carolina is much later in the season, so we'll save the Panthers for a later show, uh, but today Saints, Falcons, Bucks. Andrew, let's go ahead and get started with the New Orleans Saints.
1: Yeah, and I think this is where this activity starts to get really interesting because we typically pay more attention to what the Bears and the Lions, and the Vikings are doing in the offseason. So a lot of times that's more of a review for us. Um, but these teams that are out of division and and you know next week when we get into some of the out of conference opponents that the Packers will face this upcoming season, this is where this really starts to get interesting. And I think it helps to enrich some of the matchups when they come up during the season. But um, the Saints and free agency, they were pretty active. Uh, they had a a lot of re-signing to do. And and the first and the biggest thing was ensuring that their quarterback Drew Brees was going to be coming back this season. So uh Breeze indicated that he was gonna bring it back for another year, and certainly he'll be the expected starter for the New Orleans Saints. They also re-signed a quarterback, uh, somebody named Taysom Hill, Kyle. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Never yeah, well, that that'll be fun. Um, they got tackle Andrus Pete and then safety DJ Swearinger, and obviously getting Breeze done—that's the crucial move, convincing him to play again and and uh, not go into early Nyquil retirement uh, was really important for their franchise. But it, Taysom Hill gets just way too much pub- publicity. I mean, he's fine for what he is—he's a gadget player. But like, the whole like defenses having to scheme around Taysom Hill and stuff—that's it's ridiculous. What's not ridiculous is Andrews, Pete, and and this dude is a phenomenal young tackle. So getting that move done was really great. Uh, two things that are not listed here are exercising fifth-year options on cornerback Marcus Lattimore and tackle Ryan Ramchek, who were part of that just phenomenal draft class uh, a few years ago that that class is going to end up uh, costing New Orleans a pretty penny going forward, but getting those fifth-year options exercised on Lattimore and Ramchak was really nice. In free agency, bringing in new guys, uh, New Orleans signed wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders, who, of course, was the midseason trade love affair of all Packers fans. Uh, they brought back safety Malcolm Jenkins, who clearly can only play for the New Orleans Saints and Philadelphia Eagles in his career. Uh, they brought in quarterback Jameis Winston, fresh off of his 30 for 30 season. Uh, and then uh, defensive lineman Marcus Hunt and running back Ty Montgomery, who you may be familiar with. Um, and also linebacker Anthony Chick who I almost just mispronounced his name. Um, I'm not the biggest Emmanuel Sanders fan, but he's going to represent the best weapon that they've had opposite of Michael Thomas yet. Uh, Winston is a nice insurance policy. If Breeze gets hurt again, I really like Ty Montgomery as a receiving back. Like he's certainly not Reggie Bush or Darren Sproles, but that is always a really valuable role in this New Orleans offense and being able to spell. Um, oh my gosh, what's wrong with my brain? Alvin Kamara? Alvin Kamara, thank you. There we Kyle. go. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> Being able to spell Elvin Kamara. Uh, I was thinking of Mark Ingram for some reason. I'm a, a year behind uh, things. Uh, Spelling Alvin Kamara is going to be really valuable. And I like the plug, plug-in plug moves. You get a solid veteran in Marcus Hunt on the defensive line. Uh, you get Anthony Ciccolo. Uh, those front seven players are going to be important. The potential biggest move of all is adding Malcolm Jenkins in the back end. And he should be able to help mentor Marcus Williams, provide some impact against opposing run. Games um, if he's still at the level that we expect. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins, I keep expecting him to kind of fall off, and he just keeps playing at this super high level. So um, that could end up being a really, really nice move for him. Um, who they lost in free agency, uh, quarterback Teddy Bridgewater, Ted Ginn, the wide receiver, linebacker Matt Te'o, cornerback Eli Apple, linebacker A.J. Klein, Wisconsin native, uh, safety Von Bell, uh, and linebacker Stephon Anthony, former draft crush of uh, a lot of Packers Twitter. So there's a lot of solid players who left, but not necessarily big names. And I think that largely gets them overlooked, but that linebacking group took a hit and they're going to have to hope some rookies are ready to step in and
0: contribute right away. Yeah, this really is such a good NFL roster, and you said that they have some really young guys who are about to get the Saints to back up the Brinks truck, and so obviously that limits the big splashes that this team can make and the money that they can spend, but you have to like the vets that they were able to add, and they did some nice things in the draft to mask some of their departures as well. So let's get into their draft selections here. Uh, in the first round, the Saints selected Caesar Ruiz, the center out of Michigan. In the third round, they ended up having two picks and Zach Bond, linebacker, Wisconsin and tight end Adam Troutman out of Dayton. And then in the seventh round, they got Tommy Stevens, the quarterback out of Mississippi state. Uh, this is a draft that would have pleased a lot of Packers fans, honestly. I know many in Green Bay really, really like Zach Vaughn with the Wisconsin connection. And with Corey Lindsley, a free agent next season, I think many, myself included, had kind of talked themselves into Cesar Ruiz as an end of the first-round option. And right out of the gate, this this draft looks kind of weird because they only have four players selected. And Adam Troutman is a really, really big reason why. The Saints really wanted him, obviously. They traded four picks for one, to be able to move up and select the Dayton tight end. They traded a fifth, a sixth, and two seventh rounders for the Vikings late third round pick. And so uh, we did the show on the Vikings already, and we talked about how the Vikings selected really an unreal amount of players in this draft class, 15 to be exact. And so that's going to be actually really interesting with us hearing that less and less players may even be attending camp. So that's something to keep an eye on with that big of a draft class for the Vikings. That's a side note. Back to the... Back to the Saints. And how crazy that seems for this Saints team. Because right here, they took four picks from the Saints in their swap. Uh, and New Orleans got Adam Troutman, this player, that they wanted so, so bad. You think that Troutman is going to have to be pretty dang good to justify this move? Um, and as you would guess, Saints GM Mickey Loomis says that they have really, really high hopes for him. He actually said that they had Troutman as a top 40 player on their board so that explains why the Saints did what they did but certainly a bold move here and then in true take best player available they took Ruiz when they just selected Eric McCoy to play center last year so an embarrassment of riches here for the Saints it looks like they're going to leave McCoy there at center and start Ruiz at guard and so when you put them in between Ramchick and Armstead it's a pretty dang impressive group so the Saints don't Add a ton of players, but you have to like the trio of Ruiz, Bond, and Troutman and what they could mean for this team going forward yeah, and if you
1: if you listen to our show leading up to the draft, you know Caesar Ruiz was one of my favorite players in this entire draft. I had him as a mid first round pick. Um and so I think you know when you when you factor in positional value, where the Saints took him is right about the the correct selection. Um, and I believe the addition of him gives the Saints the best offensive line in football. Um I wasn't necessarily in love with Bond, but in the third round, you get a highly productive player who can play in space and he can rush the passer. Troutman is fine as a late third, but trading four picks for him, like you mentioned, is a bit crazy. Uh, He could be a good player down the road, but I just didn't see anything that screams like a special talent. And I also didn't necessarily see anything that would allow me to believe he's going to contribute right away. So that, that's a really interesting pick, uh, given those factors. Tommy Stevens reminds me a little bit of Taysom Hill. Uh, with all the quarterbacks on the roster, it would be kind of funny because the Saints may have to try to stash him on the practice squad. So, you know, potentially maybe the Packers could steal Tommy Stevens from the Saints <laughs> like they did Taysom
0: Hill. Absolutely. That would make all things fair, all things even, and we could put this whole thing to rest. But you know that the Saints need a new Taysom Hill with Taysom Hill. Obviously going to be the future of the New Orleans Saints, right, Andrew? Uh, (laughs) uh, Is that an episode for another day? Is that that what we got? Taysom Hill is not a good quarterback. Can we we just agree on that right now? Yeah. Not a good quarterback. Limited offensive weapon not NFL quarterback. Is that where we're at?
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's fine as a, you know, people who remember Cordell Stewart back in the day, Cordell Stewart was the slash guy, but he actually turned himself into a pretty good quarterback. He made the pro bowl at quarterback one year, uh, back when the pro bowl meant a little bit of something. And, um, he did that. Taysom Hill is not that guy. He, he's fine in his role. And I love the way that Sean Payton creatively uses him, but he cannot be your primary quarterback.
0: Yeah, I think we have a ton of respect for the Saints organization and what the team is that they put out on the field every Sunday. This roster is incredible. But if I were a New Orleans Saints fan and I truly believe that Taysom Hill was the future that we'd be seeing in one or two seasons, that would that made me very, very nervous to think that that was the direction the team was headed in. But, um, Andrew, we covered the Saints. What do we think? Did the Saints get better or did they get worse over the course of this offseason?
1: Yeah, I mentioned there, there's some areas that concern me, mainly the linebackers. But overall, I thought the Saints got better. And, you know, they may be the best roster on paper in the NFL. If Sean Payton can commit to the running game, this is an offensive line that can make holes. And then also they're going to do a really good job of keeping Drew Brees very clean. I think the addition of Manuel Sanders is going to make a scary offense even scarier however my question with the saints is always what do they do if the offense has a bad week and i think that's why historically they've struggled in the playoffs it's a team that should have a really good pass rush they have cameron jordan they have marcus davenport who by the way marcus davenport follows me on twitter uh david Onyemata and and like a really good pass rushing unit you know you got Mashar uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Janoris Jenkins, Malcolm Jenkins, and Marcus Williams. And that should make for a fantastic secondary. Demario Davis is a really good linebacker. Uh, but the rest of that unit is pretty pedestrian, but I just never feel like the Saints have a defensive identity. And they they seem like they just bring in a smorgasbord of good good players. They just slap them together. And there's no real thought for a scheme. So we'll see how these players coexist. But it seems to me like this game regardless of how good the defense is, is is the the, the biggest challenge for the Packers on their entire schedule. And that's saying a lot when you consider that they're also playing at San
0: Francisco and at Tampa Bay. Yeah, I agree. Even though this draft class that the Saints had is small, only four players, I think it's going to be a pretty impactful group, all things considered, and when you already have one of the best rosters in the league, as we've mentioned several times, uh, you are mostly just trying to keep those pieces together, and I think the Saints were able to do that for the most part, and then they did sprinkle in some pretty important vets like Sanders and Malcolm Jenkins Jenkins to fill out some of the gaps that this team had, so um, as close as this team has been the last couple seasons, I know they've had some really frustrating ends to their seasons, but I, I think they did a enough to be right back in that Super Bowl conversation again this season, and I'm with Andrew that this is going to be one of the biggest tests, especially early on in the season for the Packers. But uh, let's roll right on over to the Atlanta Falcons, um, who had a little bit of activity in the free agency period. Uh, They brought in a pair of free agents from Los Angeles, Dante Fowler, the edge, and running back Todd Gurley. Uh, They also acquired tight end Hayden Hurst via trade with the Baltimore Ravens. In addition, they also brought in several one-year contract players, some of which include the likes of former Vikings wide receiver Laquan Treadwell and former Packers guard Justin McCray. Uh, So not a ton of additions for Atlanta, but the ones that they did make are really significant to this team, and that becomes more and more apparent when you consider who they lost um, because the Falcons decided to move on from cornerback Desmond Trufant, who, as we discussed last week, is a new member of the Detroit Lions. They also released Devonta Freeman, who is, I believe, still a free agent, And linebacker Devondre Campbell, who headed out west to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, But the biggest losses of this offseason were arguably Austin Hooper and Vic Beasley for this team. Hooper got paid top dollar by the Browns, and Beasley's trying to rekindle his career with the Titans. So obviously we think Fowler comes in for Beasley and fills in there. Hurst will step in for Hooper. I know there were a lot of Green Bay fans who wanted Austin Hooper. I really liked Austin Hooper, but his price tag was absolutely huge. And so obviously Atlanta decided it was time for life without him. Uh, but it will be interesting to see how different this offense looks with him gone and out of the picture. Is, is Hurst the guy? Can he come in and pick up that load? Will Calvin Ridley just explode and have a huge year as the number two guy there with those targets up for grabs? Will Todd Gurley Uh, Will he hold up and be the impact player that we've seen him be in the past? So this offseason created a lot of questions for this Atlanta team and really could go a lot of different ways. Really interesting to see what they chose to do in this free agency period to move forward. Kyle, you want
1: to hear a fun fact about Todd Gurley?
0: I have a feeling you're going to give it to me either way.
1: Okay, well, you're supposed to say yes. (laughs) Yes, I do. Go host. But um, Todd Gurley never played a snap under his new extension for the Los Angeles Rams. So they gave him a massive contract extension and then cut him before that even took effect. So last year, he was essentially under the last year of his rookie deal um, and never made it there. And they the, the Rams have a $20.15 million dead cap hit for Todd Gurley this Unbelievable. year. Unbelievable. That's crazy. Guess what? When I say don't pay running backs,
0: I mean it. <laughs> Or just don't have less need be the general manager of your football team. I mean, or (laughs) just don't do either of those things. (laughs) I mean, Brandon Cooks is not a
1: running back, and it's still a terrible. That's true. uh, albatross on their their roster this year but um so anyways back to the falcons um they did have a draft class um and we have more than four players to talk about so uh, it'll take it slightly longer than the new orleans saints but uh, the falcons uh, made a little bit of a surprising pick at the 16th overall they select cornerback aj terrell out of clemson in the second round they got defense lineman marlon davidson from auburn in the third they took a center matt Hennessy from temple uh they had two fourth round picks Mike michael walker uh, linebacker from fresno state and a safe Jalen Hawkins from Cal and they took a punter in the 7th round Sterling Hofrichter who I clearly have watched a ton of tape on so (laughs) I'll sure to give you an in-depth punter analysis. Uh, AJ Terrell, oddly enough, was a guy I had ranked in the teens as a draft prospect, but I don't think I saw another person have him anywhere near as high as I did. I mean, I saw some late first-round grades and stuff, but I just thought he's a really well-balanced man and zone corner. He can play both. Um, He has great athleticism, really nice ball skills. I love that pick, and I think he's going to quickly become a strong starter for the the Falcons. Uh, Marlon Davidson, the defense lineman, uh, my notes on him were a lot of versatility for a guy his size. Scouts are going to say he has heavy hands, which is true. Uh, he absolutely moves guys around. I really like his ability as a player who will be effective against the run and has enough power and counter to grab attention in the pass game. He's not very twitchy, so he might be a little bit more one-dimensional. Um, Matt Hennessy, the center, really good technique. He almost never dominates someone with strength, but really takes angles well. He competes every snap, smart guy. He's sort of the poor man's Uh, Garrett Bradbury, who the Vikings took in the first round. I think he might struggle early on in his career the same way Bradbury did because of that lack of strength. Um, The other guy that I had notes on was Mike Walker, the linebacker out of Fresno State. He's really athletic. Instincts are good. Doesn't play super physically. Uh, Tackling suffers as a result. When he is physical, uh, he tends to get outmatched physically. Uh, So he'll probably be a really good special teams player and is going to need to grow into that role of linebacker. But the the Falcons have had success with really small, speedy line Backers like Deion Jones. Um, So it's an interesting draft class. I think the Falcons, you know, drafted some really good players here, um, but it it did tend to be a little bit more safe picks. Um, So, you know, they, they were hitting doubles and not necessarily swinging for the fences.
0: The Falcons are a funny team when it comes to the draft. I think we know teams like Seattle and Las Vegas always have a different draft board than other teams. But I think we should probably include Atlanta in that as well. A.J. Terrell was a guy people thought was going late first, early second. And then the week ahead of the draft, people started reporting buzz that there was a team in the top 20 who loved this guy. Obviously that was Atlanta. Obviously they had Andrew Mertig's draft board, um, but they, they got their guy there at 16. But uh, last year they kind of did the same thing, taking Chris Lindstrom, 14 overall after most thought of him as an early second type of player as well. So obviously Terrell was their guy this time around and they saw him as the replacement for true font. So that makes a ton of sense, but I'm not sure that this is going to be a super impactful class for the Falcons, at least right away, maybe down the road, all these, you know, spots get filled and these guys play really well, but it's hard for me to see this class jumping on the field and being super impactful immediately. Um, So there's your Falcons, uh, for, for what we, we think that they've done and the moves that they've made. Is this a team that got better or um, did they actually get a little bit worse here, Andrew? Uh, it's it's kind of hard to say on this one. I, I don't think
1: they're... There's there's there, it's probably not fair to say that the Falcons window is closed. Right. But they have gotten old relatively quickly. And now they find themselves in what is probably the toughest division in football. I thought they kind of stayed the same. I, I thought, you know, the balance sheet sort of equaled out at the end. Um Most of their transactions were to plug holes that were created by departure. So that makes sense. Um, It would be hard for me to say they improved, but I think they're still going to be a pretty tough team in the NFC. The problem is the NFC is so loaded with good teams um,
0: that it's hard to say that they've really separated themselves from the pack. It's really interesting. Dan Quinn, I feel like, is a coach that's on the hot seat almost every season. And I think I think Dan Quinn is a relatively good head coach. I think he's respected in the NFL. There's a lot of people who have a really lots of good things to say about him. But I feel like we start every season with the Falcons at least as of late saying, this is the year that they have to put it all together because they've been a talented team, but as you've said, they've they've aged into this roster and now the pieces are starting to crumble a little bit. They've got some young guys coming in and Ridley and trying to fill some holes, you know, with some young guys. But my goodness, like, I think this is true. You're right. They've gotten old fast. And I think we've entered another year where it's now or never for the Atlanta Falcons. But I don't think that they necessarily got worse, but I don't think they got much better either. I think the defense probably holds steady. Uh, the offense has a chance to be crazy, pretty crazy good with Julio, Calvin Ridley, Todd Gurley. I think there's a lot um I don't, I don't think that you can expect a ton from Hayden Hurst as far as coming in and filling in for Austin Hooper and trying to fill those shoes right away. Uh, but a, a lot here is going to come down to this offensive line. Tackle Jake Matthews and center Alex Mack are, are really good players. But the other three offensive line spots were kind of a mess last season. Chris Lindstrom had a slow start to his career with some injuries that derailed him um, and kind of limited how much he was able to see the field. So Atlanta has the skill players that they need on offense. But the offensive linemen, Lindstrom, Caleb McGarry, need to take some big steps forward in their sophomore seasons uh, to make this thing go for the Falcons. So I'm going to be curious to see this team and see if they pull it together and do something different. Uh, But I'm not super confident that there's a lot to move the needle here. the Falcons Uh, next up we've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and this is going to be a fun one so Andrew why don't you jump in and tell us um, did did they do anything in free agency not really no pass let's let's move right okay we'll just move
1: right on I, I guess I guess they made a little bit of noise. Um, so actually, the re-signings, I thought, were very impactful. Um, they franchise-tagged Edge Shaquille Barrett a year after signing him to a very reasonable free agent um, one-year contract. They also brought back Edge Jason Pierre-Paul. Um, thoughts are with him on this Independence Day weekend. Um, be safe, Mr. Pierre-Paul. Um, <laughs> defense alignment, is it too soon? I, I don't know. Uh, too soon! D- defense lineman and Dominican Sue uh, and linebacker Kevin Minter. Those are four really impactful defenders that they're bringing back. Um, and then they went out and signed some guy named Tom Brady uh, to a, a free agent contract. Uh, they also brought Rob Gronkowski out of retirement to play tight end. And they signed offensive tackle Joe Haig uh, from the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I believe he played at North Dakota State. He was a guy I had a crush on as a late round prospect in the draft a few years back. Um, and I think he can be a really solid addition that offensive line. Um, so players they lost, quarterback Jameis Winston, running back Peyton Barber, wide receiver Brashad Perriman, uh, offense tackle DeMar Dotson, defensive lineman Carl Nassib, uh, and defensive lineman Bo Allen, the former Badger. Um, and obviously, you know, the buzz is going to be around Brady and Gronk, but the three defensive signings are probably equally important. It's Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, and Adamic and Sue. So this was a really good, pretty young defense that really seemed to be heading places when Jameis Winston didn't just Constantly turn the ball over. I I read a stat that the top four seasons, maybe it's the top three seasons in NFL history for turnover worthy plays were all quarterbacks in their first year with Bruce Arians. So you have to wonder how his offense and then the what has become ultra conservative Tom Brady are going to work together, um, because Arians is going to want him to be really aggressive and throwing the ball downfield, and Tom Brady has really kind of turned into Captain Checkdown over the last few seasons. So uh, it, it's a it's going to be a fun lab experiment, if nothing else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You got to love you know what this is for the Tampa Bay Bucks and the direction they're trying to go and rebranding their franchise. But it will be interesting to see how that marriage goes and how they play to Birdie's strengths and how he is just kind of able to play football however he wants to play. It. We'll have to see how that works out. But there's been so much buzz around the Bucks and their free agent additions, and for obvious reasons. It's been a franchise-changing kind of offseason for them, but this draft class that the Bucs has, I think, has a chance to be really special for them as well. So uh, in the first round, Tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle uh, from Iowa was selected. Round two, they took Antoine Winfield, the safety from Minnesota. The third round was Keyshawn Vaughn, the running back from Vanderbilt. Uh, in the fifth, they got Tyler Johnson to follow them in the fifth round there from Minnesota, the wide receiver. Uh, sixth round was Khalil Davis, defensive tackle from Nebraska. Uh, seventh round had two picks. Uh, Chappelle, Russell, the outside linebacker from Temple, and Raymond Calais, the running back from Louisiana. Uh, there was a lot of talk about how this offensive line class was one of the best in years at least the top and so to get one of those guys and Tristan Wirfs is huge for the success of Tom Brady and stabilizing this offense and Antoine Winfield is a player a lot of people really really loved and I think the biggest knock on Winfield has really been his injury history but when he's been healthy he can really be that jack-of-all-trade kind of player Swiss Army knife guy for your secondary and I think the Bucs and the Bucs fans they're going to enjoy watching this uh, watching a player with his diversity come in and play for that defense. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn is going to be interesting to watch because the Bucks have been trying to get Ronald Jones, former second-round pick Ronald Jones. They've been trying to get him going for a couple of seasons without much success. And so uh, we know how much Tom Brady likes to check down to his running backs. And so it's going to be really fun to see how Vaughn factors in here. And then, of course... Uh, we have Tyler Johnson, who many thought could be um, a much higher pick and so could be a really good value here for them. And getting a receiver of his upside in the fifth round is obviously a good get for a team that already has so much offensive talent. So I really like this draft for the Bucks, and especially for the direction that they're trying to go as a franchise. Yeah,
1: I thought Tristan Worris
0: was an absolute steal. And he also happens to
1: be a really great fit for the Bucks' offense um, at probably their greatest position of need. So so that one couldn't have worked out any better for Tampa. Uh, Winfield will be added to a secondary that has approximately 80 players that were drafted in the first or second round over the last few years, um, none of whom have really played up to their draft status. Seriously, look back how many defensive backs Tampa Bay has drafted in the last uh, in, in the top three rounds over the last few years. It's crazy. Uh, I don't understand the Keyshawn Vaughn pick at t- first of all, I think they drafted him too high. And then, you know, you add him to, you already have Ronald Jones and I don't think Keyshawn Vaughn is the kind of player who's going to step in and take Ronald Jones carries. And I thought like there have been times when he's shown flashes. And I think with a more consistent passing game, he can be your, your first down back. Um, And Dare Gumbawale, who is the receiving back, Um, Actually, is much better than people know about him. Um, Side note, I would remember that name for fantasy purposes. You don't have to spell it out, but (laughs) Darryl Agumawale. I keep bringing up former Wisconsin players, and this is my homerism here, but he is a fantastic receiving threat and um, started to come on at times last year with Jameis. Um, Tyler Johnson is someone I really, really was high on coming in the draft. I'm not sure I see a path for him to get on the field right now with Godwin and Mike Evans in front of him but I have a feeling he will end up being a highly productive NFL player
0: yeah those are some really good nuggets there especially I mean we're not a fantasy football podcast but I mean there's been so much talk about Ronald Jones and Vaughn comes in and, and takes some of like the other work from him but it's been noted that Ronald Jones they they don't seem to believe in Tampa Bay that he is that receiving option so trying to figure out if they let Tom Brady continue to check down who those targets are going to go to. And I think there's a lot of questions there. Uh, so good note for our fantasy teams there, Andrew. Did the Bucks get better or worse this offseason?
1: Yeah, this is going to sound weird because I think the Buccaneers are the, the most overrated team in the league going into the season. But they might actually be better than they were last year. Um, And that's a weird thing to say, but I, I, I think maybe the Super Bowl aspirations are a little bit overblown, at least at this point. Like, yeah, Jameis killed them with the interceptions last year, but he also made a ton of big plays. So... I'm really interested, like I said before, to see how Bruce Arians and Tom Brady fit together because it just doesn't scream a great pairing on paper. Unless you get the Tom Brady of 2007, who would just chuck it up to Randy Moss and and dump it off to Wes Welker underneath, um, then maybe you'd have a pattern for success. Otherwise, Arians is really going to have to adjust his offense. Uh, but the defense may take a step forward, and they certainly have a plethora of playmakers. But they still might be in the they they may be the third best team in their division. Um, so regardless, like I said, I think this is the best division in football. And even if they are the second or third best team in that division, Green Bay at Tampa is
0: going to be a very, very difficult game to win. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it's so obvious to say that the Bucks got better. I think they've done everything that you can imagine to get better this offseason. And you can argue that Tampa Tom is on a downward trajectory, but even a washed up Tom Brady is still, in my opinion, an upgrade over Jameis Winston, and he's going to reduce your turnovers. He going, he's going to put the ball in the hands of his playmakers, which the Bucks have absolutely a ton of. Uh, I think the offense gets better, and it's not just Tom Brady. I'm not overly excited about what Gronk does necessarily for this team, uh, but other small moves uh, in this draft that Tampa is bringing in is going to be what this team needs as they rebuild their identity as a franchise. I don't really think they're instantly the Patriots 2.0 as some have anointed them. And I do think that the Packers I think the Packers luck out by playing them early in the season while they're still trying to build that chemistry and figure out who they're going to be, especially when you consider the Arians and Brady uh, relationship. The defense, I do think, is a different story. They do need big jumps from Devin White and Antoine Winfield. And as Andrew mentioned, that secondary is kind of a mess. So they need some of those guys to step up and play up to their draft stock. But uh, it's a It's really going to be really interesting to watch this team. They're a very good team, and I do think that they are a much improved team. Probably overblown and overhyped at this point, but they're going to be a tough matchup there for the Packers for sure. Yeah,
1: and as Kyle mentioned earlier, the Packers are going to be taking on these three teams in weeks three, four, and five. So week three. At Saints, 7.20 p.m. a Sunday nighter. That's going to be really fun. Uh, The spotlight with Rodgers and Breeze throwing it around. In week four, the Packers come back. They're going to host Atlanta uh, on Monday night football. And then week five, they go at Tampa Bay. Uh, for the national game of the week, the late afternoon slot, 325 Central. So um, all three of those games are going to have big audiences, and and I think they're going to be really fun matchups, although I think we would agree all three pretty tough matchups for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, but that is all the time that we have for today. This has been the Pack of Day podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Pack of Day podcast. Please, please, please go out and subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. It really helps us out um, if you can do so on your favorite uh, podcasting platform. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We're going to be back next week with a review of the Packers' next two non divisional opponents for next season. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember.